Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Jan Orman. In this podcast, we'll hear a distillation of the conversations from Webinar 30 in the Black Dog Institute's webinar series, the one that's produced for the Australian Federal Government's e-mental health in practice project. That project aims to help primary care practitioners get to know the reliable online resources that are available to support mental health care. In this episode, we'll focus on the mental health and well-being of family members of serving military personnel and veterans. Before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the lands on which we meet and pay my and our respects to the elders past, present and future. I would also like to acknowledge the Indigenous servicemen and women who have served in Australia's military in times gone by and those who are currently serving. We started the webinar with a discussion of the impact of military service on families. Here's Dr Joe Rouston, a Canberra-based clinical psychologist who works as a mental health advisor to the Department of Veterans Affairs, talking about the common issues seen in military families. There's a, a few issues that are faced by um, current members and their families in particular. Um, frequent moves, which we'll talk about shortly. Um, the impact of uh, the military member going overseas in particular on deployments and what happens when that person comes home. Um, there's a certain amount of upheaval that occurs there. And the legacy of just that exposure to trauma, whether it's psychological or physical, not only upon the veteran, but again upon their family. And another important factor is the impact of discharge from the defence forces and whether that's a voluntary discharge or an involuntary discharge. Heather Gao is a psychologist who works with individuals, couples and families through Open Arms, the Veterans and Families Counselling Service. I asked Heather about the posting cycle that serving military families experience. There are defence bases right across Australia in, in Darwin, you know, down to Adelaide and across to uh, WA. Um, we also have um, bases overseas where families can be posted and unrestricted service means that members are required to serve in any location at any time in accordance with uh, defence requirements. So, you know, for families that means, um, you know, a two, two to four year cycle of kind of upheaval and new schools for kids and new jobs for spouses and you know, it can be really quite disruptive for um, for families. We know, you know, that families are where, um, you know, they're not, they're not just the supporters of the veteran, but the families are uh, the place where the children are learning about uh, their place in the world and safety and security and uh, it's that foundation for, for adult mental health. So I think this topic that we're talking about today is, you know, of utmost importance. Socially, I think that for a child to be constantly the new child um, in their social group, you know, um, having to renegotiate friendships every couple of years, um, you know, that they um, they might be quite good at it. Um, but mm. if they've got any kind of social anxiety, you know, um, I think that um, the impact of that builds up over the years. It might bring out the best in some children, but be quite detrimental to, yeah. to the development of other children. Yeah. So there are really are a lot of issues that just postings create for uh, spouses and children of military personnel. Posting is one thing, but deployment, especially to active combat, is another thing altogether. I asked Heather what was meant by the emotional cycle of deployment. 
Well, this is a concept that was developed um, in the 80s in, in America um, and uh, applied to uh, the Navy in, in America in particular, but it, it's certainly been shown to apply across the, the three services and internationally as well. Um, that there are a whole set of cognitive and emotional and behavioural um, impacts of the the different cycle the, the different parts of deployment so when it's announced that a partner might be deploying uh, whether that's for a, a sort of warlike service a <laughs> mission or um, um, is going away on a ship for a, a particular reason um, then then um, there's that anxiety the anticipation there's a, there's a uh, tendency for people to start distancing themselves emotionally from their um, spouse in order as a coping strategy perhaps um, physical intimacy might change there might be more of it because um, you're not going to see each other for a long time or there might be less because of that anticipation of sort of abandonment and then when the deployment happens um, the partner who's left behind has the increased responsibilities of keeping the family running um, they're lonely they're you know missing their partner uh, feel feel overwhelmed um, but then there's a period of, of stabilization where the partner realizes yeah I can do this and you know I've got this routine down pat and we're all working well and it, it's all you know there's a build-up of confidence and, and things are running well uh, and then further on in the cycle you start to anticipate your partner coming home um, that's exciting for a lot of people but it can also be anxiety provoking because you you start to realize I'm going to have to renegotiate these roles for the family uh, again um, and there's the apprehension of will will a partner be okay you know will they come back different which is you know a common story that we hear um, and then that the post-deployment renegotiation of family roles perhaps a honeymoon period um, and that period of reintegration can can really take you know up to three or four months and if you think about the the sort of stages the development stages of children in particular you know um, the needs of the child at, at different stages of their life and and put this cycle over the top of it then we start to see that a really complex picture can emerge another issue of course is the fear that families and children in particular have for the safety of their deployed parent particularly if, if the parent is away uh, on a warlike uh, uh, combat type mission um, where there's you know, talk amongst school friends or, you know, you're hearing on the news about things happening overseas and, um, you know, perhaps hearing from um, other defence children um, in their community about things that might have happened to their parents while deployed, you know, all of those things can and just and really just the fact that their parent is not there, yeah. you know, is going to cause a certain amount of anxiety in the child. Very scary indeed. I asked Joe about the mental health issues that military personnel returning from deployment are likely to experience. The rates of PTSD do vary from study to study. I mean, generally it's around 15%, but various studies have picked up either anything between about 13% and 25% of uh, people returning from uh, deployments um, present with PTSD. But that's only part of the picture, of course, because these studies tend to look at people who meet full um, DSM criteria for PTSD um, rather than picking up those who may be symptomatic but don't meet the full criteria. And similarly for depression. Um, depression, the again, it's variable, but anything around 13 to 16% usually is um, the prevalence rate amongst returning people. Mm -hmm. um, and um, substance abuse is another big one, particularly alcohol abuse. We're looking there at anything between 6 to 9%. And, of mm -hmm. course, many of these conditions are 
co-occurring or comorbid um, and it becomes particularly complicated when you've also got um, chronic pain that's occurring and more and more with the, the younger veterans in particular we're seeing um, people presenting with traumatic brain injuries as a result of being involved in perhaps some um, improvised explosive device um, attacks or rocket attacks in particular and in some cases car crashes in um, some of these places. Dr David Mitchell was also on our panel David's a Melbourne-based psychiatrist who spent five years as a doctor in the RAAF, including a number of deployments. David says he sees many serving members, and as well as that, about 15% of his patients are ex-military personnel. He says that while serving members present with the same sorts of common mental health issues as the rest of the population, veterans overwhelmingly present with PTSD. Which, of course, is always linked comorbidly with depression, anxiety and alcohol misuse issues anyway. Brianna Till is a defence widow whose husband was killed in action in Afghanistan. Bri works as an art therapist and as a peer advisor and advocate with Open Arms Veterans and Family Counselling. Bri talked about how these mental health issues played out in the family setting. Aggressive behaviours withdrawn um overly controlling about outcomes it might be not even looking like aggression it might be looking like um acutely aware of trying to be a very good parent um and putting a lot of energy into that and that extreme fatigue that'll kick in um following that so Mm -hmm. there's um that that withdrawn aspect is something that's quite similar or the avoidance um to um go near the um some of the triggers which may or may not be mm-hmm. even related to what's happened overseas it just might be a sensory sort of indicator as well so avoidance of triggers is going to lead to lots of changes in people's behavior isn't it and the yeah. hypervigilance is going to also be problematic in terms of the way that they respond to things differently from perhaps the way they would have responded before they uh, went away it seems it's not just return from deployment that's associated with problems Discharge has an impact too. Here's Joe. We do see a different picture in those those vet, veterans once they are discharged from um, the defence forces, particularly when that uh, discharge isn't a voluntary one. And we see that with people often who are medically discharged or another category administratively discharged. There's that sense of loss that comes with that. In many cases, the, the military has been their, their life. Um, it's been something that in many cases they've had since they were 17 or 18. So there's this huge sense of grief and loss in some cases, loss of career, loss of identity, loss of um, financial security, a lot of difficulty adjusting to civilian life, which can have a a broader impact upon the whole family. And the stress that's associated with having to, in many cases for the first time, navigate their way through the healthcare system, get a Medicare card, sort out housing for themselves, work out what sort of job they're going to get if if indeed they are going to be working. And if they are at home more, then that puts stresses on the family unit too. Mm-hmm. And that, the, the list that you just gave sounded to me like a whole lot of things that we all learn to do between 17 and 25 and yet the military's been looking after these people so that they don't actually have to do it until discharge, which is, is kind of puts them on the back foot, doesn't it, once they're in the Absolutely. civilian environment. So the Transition and Wellbeing Research Program was a very hefty body of research that was recently released. And one part of that was the family wellbeing study, which actually presented a bit of a mixed picture. Um, I've just pulled a few bits of 
information out there. Um, something like, you know, well over a third of children in Defence Force families had attended four or more schools in their, during their childhood. Um, over 78% of partners of uh, military personnel actually reported being happy in their couple relationship. Um, that sort of dropped a little once, again, discharge occurred. There were slightly more behavioural problems noted in children, such as hyperactivity and emotional symptoms, such as um, a bit of acting out and so forth. But it wasn't a huge degree. It was slightly more behavioural problems. But where one interesting finding was that the adult children of Defence Force personnel were more vulnerable to mental health problems and risky drinking, and in some cases, risky behaviours as well. Mm-hmm. The recent research, not just the Transition and Wellbeing study, but a few other studies have showed that most military families are actually doing quite well, um, particularly in those, those families where the Defence Force member is still serving. Um, there are more positive benefits, particularly financial benefits and career benefits. Um, but once people left the ADF, it was a little bit of a different picture. But overall, most partners felt that Defence Force service did have a positive impact on their spouse's finances, career and physical health. The Vietnam Veterans Study showed that children of military personnel who had been deployed were more likely to experience a range of mental health issues than the children of military personnel who had not been deployed, especially if their parent had developed PTSD. Deployment seems to be a very important consideration. So, the bottom line? If mental health issues are going to arise in family members, problems are more likely to arise after discharge or when the children grow to adulthood. Those problems are more likely to arise as well if the parent has been deployed and if they've experienced PTSD. I asked the panel what they considered the most important aspects of treatment to be. I think that that point about treating the family holistically is really the most important one, um, and, you know, including the children as well. Um, I think that there's been a tendency for us to treat families as if they are simply a collection of individuals, um, and, of course, they are much more than that. You know, it's a system, um, and, and the system has an impact on um the mental health of the children as they grow, you know, it has, it has an impact on, you know, the attachment needs of the, the spouse that has, a, um, they all interact with each other. So I think that rather than looking at, you know, the children need this and the couple need counselling and, um, you know, the, the veteran needs um, trauma counselling or trauma treatment, we need to look at it more collectively as well um, and realise that we may not always get the 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 true or accurate picture simply by asking the veteran what's going on. Mm -hmm. So we need to look more closely at the system that is the family. We looked at a case study to help us understand how military families' problems might present to various kinds of practitioners. Gary is um, a a veteran whose wife, Joanne, is 43 and she is presenting with their 13-year-old daughter, Lucy. Jo is a senior career public servant, um, has been the breadwinner for the family for quite some time. Lucy was a lovely, quiet uh, child who always did as she was told, uh, very loving and and gentle. But since she has been at high school, she's been argumentative and disobedient and The problem is that Gary is not coping with her behaviour. Lucy's behaviour is triggering Gary on a regular basis and the family are in emotional upheaval again. 
Lucy was born two years before Gary's last deployment to Afghanistan, so they had that time together before he went in 2008. Gary came back from Afghanistan with quite severe PTSD to the extent that he hasn't been able to work since his return from that deployment, and Joe says it has been a turbulent 10 years. Here's David, our psychiatrist. I lead a very busy emergency department and adolescents wander in from time to time and sometimes we're seeing adolescents that are uh, the children of defence members. So that's a context. Occasionally I'll see adolescents in private. And I think the crux of the story is when you have a defence member who's developed PTSD, children are at risk of their own mental health issues and it makes sense because PTSD is a condition of anxiety and the underbelly of anxiety is anger. And it's a condition of hyperarousal. So you've got predominantly men who are very angry, discharging that anger onto their family members and people live their lives walking around on eggshells. Mm-hmm. And it makes sense that children and spouses are going to be vicariously traumatised by the suffering that, they're, that they're, their father or loved one, mother maybe, is suffering from. So you might see Lucy in the emergency department. What about you, Joe? How is this family likely to enter your orbit? Um, I mean, I'm, in my private practice, I tend to see um, veterans and current serving members, um, sometimes their spouses and sometimes as a couple. I don't tend to see the children, but I do see impacts upon the children through the stories that I hear, or the narratives that I hear from the, the veteran. And often it is, particularly in cases where you may have um, each spouse who is, has been a serving member or is a serving member, that creates significant issues. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the children do struggle. So Absolutely. you might, be, might see it earlier than David does. If David sees mm-hmm. the child coming into the emergency department, you might be hearing about it earlier at about mm-hmm. this kind of time that Joe's talking mm-hmm. about here in this story. Yeah. What about you, Heather? When would you come across this family, do you think? Um, I think sort of typically this family would come to to open arms. I would it would be um, Joe who would ring and say I'm really having some some trouble with my uh, daughter. Um, can you see her? And we would you know as part of our intake process we would assess what's going on and um, probably if. Um, we would recommend a family counselling referral, so we would try to see the family all together um, to try and figure out what's been going on for them and how how um, Gary's military service has um, impacted on um, Lucy's development, um, you know, from, from the early days, and then you know, see um, look at look at the systemic. Uh, issues and, and try to uh, find ways for uh, Lucy to feel safer um, uh-huh. in the family. What about you, Bree? How might this family come to your attention? Uh, through open arms, yes, but in other ways as well? Glad you asked that, actually, because we, as peers, um, we might be the first point of, when it comes to noticing or seeing something that's happening with a family. And I think that's one of the main reasons why um, the peer program is being incorporated into open arms to, to try and help make those connections into the services that are available um, a little bit earlier. So what resources are out there to help us care for these people? First of all, we do need to remember that there's a distinction between serving members and veterans in terms of the services they can access. Remembering that reduces some of the potential for confusion. 
there's a, a government organisation called Defence Community Organisation, so DCO, um, and there's organisations that the defence community access. So they might be ex-serving organisations called ESOs or veterans organisations, which I'm, I'm trying to think there must be another acronym for that one. But the um, DCO is a, um, a government organisation that will help that sort of community aspects in terms of making sure that families have opportunities to connect um, for training for psychology services um, for connection to open arms they have counselors they have hotlines they can support a member or their family with um, things like relocations or entering into a new place um, or new schools uh, so a lot of those sort of extra supports outside the, the workplace but it's just specific for current serving so okay. once someone is not serving that's not available um, whereas open arms as far as things like psych services go is open to all defence and ongoing veterans and onwards. What I understand, you correct me if I'm wrong, is that the community organisations and the veterans organisations are support organisations, but Open Arms is a counselling service. So the Open Arms counselling service, as I understand it, has unlimited services that can it can provide. Is that right, Heather? That's, there are no restrictions. That's correct. So it is based on an episodic model of care. Um, however, if there's a, a clinical need for clients to be seen long term, that can certainly happen. So it's not uh, similar to Medicare in any way um, and it's a national service you know we, we see people all over the country um, and try to connect people. Are you uh, doing it by telepsychiatry yet or only face-to-face? Uh, not, uh, we do provide where, where we have to we prefer to, to provide face-to-face counselling where we can and we will we, our outreach program is pretty good at doing that but where we cannot uh, provide face-to-face counselling in a particular area we will provide phone or Skype counselling. Cook of our kids uh, they're a community organisation who run camps and activities for um, children whose parents have um, mental health um, issues or problems and the Department of Veterans Affairs provides some funding to Kookaburra kids mm-hmm. to provide these activities specifically for children of um uh, veterans. Okay, and the DCOs also provide activities for kids. That's how yeah, the I'm DCOs reading. organise that for current um, serving members, okay. Okay. Um, children. So Kookaburra Kids is for veterans and the DCOs for current serving members. I'll get this right yeah. one day. The Department of Veterans Affairs website um, leads to what, Jo? Uh, the Department of Veterans Affairs website is a very broad um, website with a lot of information on it. Um, I have to be upfront and say it's not always the easiest website to navigate. Um, so, but if you put what you want in the search bar at the top, you'll you will find your way to the information that you do need. There's a lot of useful fact sheets on there and links to resources for providers. The homepage of the Open Arms Veterans and Family Counselling website has a yellow button that highlights the one eight hundred number. That's one eight hundred zero double one zero four six. Is that a crisis line? Certainly, there is um, crisis support available uh, 24 hours on that um, on that number, um, and the the backup is that if clients call uh, overnight, that um, they are provided with counselling on the spot, and then uh, there is a notification made the next day back into the open arms centres so that in-centre counsellors can follow up. We provide individual, couple and family counselling, as we've mentioned before. We also provide um, peer support, as as Bree has uh, spoken about, um, complex case management, 
um, and we we try to make it that uh, you know that there's no wrong door. So you know anyone who calls us, um, even if they don't fit into our uh, very broad eligibility criteria, you know, we, we will try and help as best we can, um, duty of care considerations and, mm -hmm. and all of that. That is as a bit of a, a portal for information. So you can see that there's a families um, tab at the top of the screen there. So if you clicked on that, it would take you through to a page where there's a lot of psychoeducation resources and information about where to go for help. Uh, if, if you're noticing that your family or um, you're a veteran that you're supporting is not doing so well. Uh, common common issues that impact on families. Uh, there are links to the apps, um, the commonly used apps, um, the the DVA developed apps, and there's also on the ADA's website um, a section for professionals, um, which provides information. Um, you know, really all the way from sort of basic case conceptualization type. Um, information through to orientation to the defence forces and uh, common problems that veterans face. This is um, a selection of the apps available from the uh, resources section of the At Ease website. PTSD Coach I know about because it was developed in the United States in Veterans Affairs and then modified by the Australian um, Department of Veterans Affairs for the Australian sufferers from PTSD. Can you tell us a little bit about um, PTSD Coach Australia, Joe? Uh, yes, it's uh, again, it's a very useful app that um, people can obviously carry around on their, their phones or their tablets. I mean, in the old the olden days, um, I mean, some of us probably still use these, we would give our clients uh, paper and pen uh, worksheets and um, questionnaires to take with them. Now, most of that information is available on something like PTSD Coach, so people can monitor their symptoms, how they change over time. They can get reminders of how they're, they're thinking and um, how they are, how they're going from day to day. So it's, it, it is a very, very useful app that um, people with PTSD can, again, have with them as a constant reminder of, you know, how they're doing and also how they're improving. And that's free from the App Store and works on iPhone yeah. and Android, I believe. Absolutely. Yeah. And Operation Life? That's a, a suicide, it's aimed at suicide prevention and helping people to get support and to know where to go when they notice an increase in their suicidal thinking mm -hmm, or suicidal mm -hmm. um, desire. We also talked in the webinar about the usefulness of some of the apps you're probably already familiar with, like Beyond Now for suicide safety planning and the virtual hope box for support with distress management. But back to the websites. Joe also spoke about the High Res website, which is different from the sites we've already discussed. There's a lot of very interactive tools on the um, the High Res website, and it's focusing more on problems that people notice that they're experiencing, rather than someone thinking, oh, "I've got depression. What do I do about this?" Although mm -hmm. some people will approach it in that that way, but it's more, mm -hmm. "I'm having trouble sleeping, or I'm getting angry, or I'm having trouble um, mm -hmm. managing my mood." HiRes has got a lot of very um, interactive and very user-friendly um, tools that people can access and use, and they and uh, over a number of sessions as well. So it sounds like it talks a non-medical language that people are likely yeah, to understand yeah. and that is unstigmatizing. Absolutely. If that's a word. In summary, the specialised online resources we can use for military families include the Department of Defence website for serving personnel and their families and the Department of Veterans Affairs website for general health information for ex-servicemen and women and their families. 
Open Arms Veterans and Families Counselling provides face-to-face counselling for anyone who has spent even a single day in the military and for members of their families. And the Open Arms Crisis Line is available 24 hours a day on 1800 011 046. Kookaburra Kids is a website that provides support for children of veterans. At Ease is a website designed to support veterans and their families with information about mental health, including access to especially developed apps. High Res is a website designed to help develop resilience and emotional survival skills in both currently serving and ex-military personnel and their families. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast and that you'll find this information useful in your clinical practice. For the full story, you might like to watch the accredited on-demand recording of the webinar. You can find that on the eMental Health in Practice page, the MPRAC page of the Black Dog Institute's website. Thanks for listening. I hope we meet again.